0: They made up their minds and they started packing. They left before the sun came up that day. An exit to eternal summer slacking. But But where where were they they going going without without ever knowing the way? way? They drank up the wine and they got to talking. They now had more important things to say. And when the car broke down, they started walking. Where were they going without ever knowing the way? Anyone can see the road that they walk on is
1: paved in gold. It's always summer, they'll never get cold. They'll never get hungry, they'll never get old and gray. Hey, this is Middle-Aged Mediocre. I'm Cash, that's Joel. Hi. That was a fastball, and that is the way. Thanks for listening to Middle-Aged and Mediocre. I'm Cash. I'm Joel. And uh, we are a podcast about all things. Death and UFOs
0: and other creepy, Cults? weird, random Cults? ghosts. There you go. Yeah. Not uh, just naming things in the room. Oh my god. There's a cult of cult of cult
1: A man named James Wilson was born in Memphis in 1946. He uh, was put up for adoption at three years old. They changed his name to James Lewis. Uh, He went on to become a bit of a scam artist, a bit of a scamp. He was involved with a man who had his, uh, a retired man who had his legs severed at the hips. They found him in the attic! So they could put him in the attic. That's right. You remember? I remember. Uh, Previously. May or may not have killed him. Not really sure. Yeah.
0: Could have been suicide.
1: They either killed him or they found him dead and then decided they were going to uh, use his checks to try, yeah. to, try to get paid. Uh, but him and his wife uh, were on the move. They changed their names a lot.
0: At one point, uh, they... They're like Donnie Donaldson or something or Randy Roberts. <laughs> it was always like, a always, always
1: good alliteration. Uh, Willy
0: Wonka? <laughs> I don't know.
1: They ended up... The wife ended up working for a man named McKayhee. Uh, his business uh, shut down, and they were unable to pay
0: uh, oh, everyone man. their final checks.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, when his wife, Leanne, left the business, uh, she took some uh, some envelopes with his, uh, whatever a Pitney Bowes postage meter is, yeah. stamped on them. I don't exactly know what that means, but it basically, like, just, it's, it's his, like, it looks like it's a letter coming from McKayhee. Yeah. So she took a stack of those and made sure she stamped them first.
0: Probably for some forgery type of shit.
1: So when we left off, they had arrived in Chicago under the names. Uh, what were their names at this point when they arrived? The Windy City. They were in the Windy City uh, after they fled from some check fraud. They were very good. They were good at he had a scam where he would uh, create addresses. Pound, oh yeah, yeah. Pound a post box uh-huh. into the ground. Have somebody's like, tax return go there. He's a hustler. He's a hustler, baby. <laughs> uh, but they were now in uh, Chicago under the names Karen and uh, William Wagner. See? WW. And then they uh, moved on and became Robert and Nancy Richards. Yep. So, yeah, that is where we are at. Uh, she
0: they- can pick either name. She went with Karen and Nancy. Yeah, Karen and Nancy. And he <laughs> went with William
1: and Robert. So that's where we ended part one. Uh, we'll be getting into the rest of the story of the uh, the Tylenol Man, as he became known, and we'll figure out why he became known as the Tylenol Man. Let's
0: get after it.
1: Well, before we get before we get after that, oh, uh, you want to get after? Uh, you had a you had a pretty big comedy show, yeah, uh, last weekend at the Smut <laughs> the Smut Theater. That's how I say it. How the Smut Theater goes. It was a lot
0: of fun. The whole bottom part was uh, filled up. So I'm four hundred people, three hundred people. Something like that. It was a fun show. Uh, Kevin Farley was real good. Joe Ellison. Is that the was, most people you've done a show for? Probably, before? yeah. Okay,
1: because I know you've done like, some festivals and things like that. Yeah, there's festivals. <laughs> okay. <not laughs> okay. <good. laughs>
0: uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was definitely probably the biggest crowd and it was, it was fun to be on the Smut stage. Not can't it. not say it. Smut. You said Kevin <laughs> Farley smut. was pretty cool. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Nice guy. Uh, it was funny. They were like, you know, I was so concerned about being friendly, you know, PG, he's up there talking about butt fucking and no. everything. I guess they pretty much told him just let it fly. Okay. So <laughs> maybe as she- soon as I got there, Lady in Charge was like, this is the last comedy show ever. She was like, it was a super weird vibe, but I mean, everyone loved it. It was like people wanted pictures of me after yeah. the show. So, so they might end it. up changing
1: their minds then yeah. if the
0: turnout was good. Sure. Probably not. <laughs> she doesn't seem like a mind changer but yeah. we'll see so she was just the lady that ran this yeah yeah she doesn't like like she wants everything clean yeah like donnie baker's been there and that guy's not clean no at all. not at all i guess at the donnie baker show she just stood off stage like arms crossed glaring at him so at one point during the show he's like kept talking about the ghost of the smoot and that she was the ghost <laughs> of the smoot and so but this movie's a cool building, though. I got to kind of explore it a little bit. I was down in the basement and all the dressing rooms. And mm-hmm. It was fun. Just
1: jerking off in all of them. Well,
0: I, either, I don't want to put that on
1: air. <laughs> Leaving your ectoplasm behind <laughs> all over. Uh, I left my
0: mark. So
1: we were supposed to be in Cincinnati right now. Yeah. Uh, we didn't think we were going to record an episode this weekend because we were supposed to go to the Reds versus the Pirates game yep. in Cincinnati. Uh, a host of factors, though, led to us not going. Uh, I think the main factor, well, one of the main factors being... Uh, there's going to be just way too many damn people. Yeah. But if the game even happens, there's yeah. apparently tornadoes and shit out that way. Yep. So it's like, like 25 mile an hour winds. Wind.
0: Yeah, and with that kind of wind, it could blow rain in real easily. And it's the first Saturday of the season. It's going to be
1: yeah. packed. So after uh, really, we're like
0: where the seats were. We weren't even like covered or anything. Mm,
1: no, so yeah, we've been right out it there. It was your call. Yeah, I mean, it sucks
0: that like I tried to sell the tickets.
1: Didn't have any takers, yeah. so I mean,
0: so now they're half price. If anyone's out there listening, they want tickets. <laughs> yeah, I'll let your boy half price. Yeah,
1: you could say like, hey, I had tickets for that. Yeah, I <laughs> only paid. You know, you can get them for fifty
0: dollars. Yeah, that's or, that's less than half price. Four dollars.
1: So yeah, <laughs> really, anything. at this point, whatever you want to pay me for them.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, I tried selling them on the app. Uh huh. That was impossible. Uh, so, yeah, I just kind of decided, fuck it, let's not. But apparently,
0: I kept the spirit alive and came over dressed as an umpire. You
1: are dressed <laughs> as an umpire. He <laughs> like, walked right? in, you just cut me down.
0: <laughs> you're like, I thought an umpire was coming in here. I have a blue polo wall with a black hat. It was backwards now, so I even have more of an umpire yeah. look.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really thought you were going to kick my door in. I'm like, <laughs> you're out of here. Out of here. Yeah, I mean, you're wearing the light blue polo. <laughs> a black hat turned backwards. And I'm
0: a beefy fella, so I'm you, stocky. Yeah. You know, I'm a beefy boy. I mean, you yeah. know. We know that. I'm a beef inspector.
1: If you don't want somebody to say you look like an umpire, don't dress like an umpire. <laughs> That's on me. That's on you.
0: That's on me. What am I
1: supposed to do? I do Ignore
0: it? I don't know. Can't. Maybe, maybe I just wanted this to be my safe place. Ooh. Safe. You're <sighs> out of, You're <sighs> out of here!
1: <sighs> now how, like, so I haven't really, I don't... I've always kind of been, a like, I've, I've always paid attention to what's going on in baseball. Uh-huh. Like, you know, I know who's good, who's not. who's Like, I know what's happening in baseball.
0: Who won the World Series last year? Uh, the Astros? Yep, okay. Yeah. I tried uh, to think of it the other day. It took me a good five, <laughs> ten minutes. I was like, baseball. Because that's why I started thinking. I was like, I don't even think I can remember who won the World Series. Did they win two years in a row? No, they didn't win the year before. I think Dodgers won the year before, didn't they? So, what the – because
1: didn't the Astros ever accuse them of cheating? Yeah, like, oh, they got – Was that the year before? They were absolutely cheated. Yeah, or a couple years ago. Okay. It may
0: have been a couple So, I remember years. when they
1: won last year, everybody was like, oh, fucking cheaters again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, it's crazy. So, I started my vacation Thursday, opening day of Major League Baseball. Yep. And I was sitting here like, you know, by the time 1 o'clock rolled around, I figured, oh, I'll just watch – a bunch of baseball games today. I don't have anything else to do mm-hmm. until like later in the day. How do you not have like, as a league? How do you not have a bunch of games on?
0: I remember it used to be like WGN would have the Cubs, TBS would have the Braves. Yeah, there was there, was there was a there game
1: somewhere. like at like eight o'clock Thursday night. I think it's, maybe came on.
0: People don't watch them. There's TV. nothing. There
1: was nothing on yesterday. There was one like later on the day. There's yeah. one like tonight. But it's just I'm like, no wonder baseball kinda sucks. Like, <laughs> they need I don't know what the fuck their deal is, but like I can't imagine the NFL or the NBA season starting. Yeah. And it being like, man, like I wonder I wish I could watch some of
0: these. There's more XFL
1: games on, probably. There's definitely <laughs> F- XFL games, yeah. But uh yeah, so we're here recording so we're here. a podcast Lucky you. instead.
0: Lucky you.
1: We brought you some fastball, you yep. know, to go with the theme of opening day. It's the opening way opening weekend. It's, it's the, the way. way. Uh, but, yeah, let's get back into the story All of right. the Tylenol man, uh, Jim Lewis. Uh,
0: the Tylenol you know, man. He may or may not have already
1: killed a man. We don't know. Yeah. But he is definitely a scam artist. Yeah, definitely, definitely a fraudster.
0: He's up to no good. Yeah. Uh,
1: him and his wife moved around a lot, changed the alias. So we're going to start our uh, part two uh, on the morning of September 29th 1982, when 12-year-old Mary Kellerman, uh, she woke up, she had a sore throat, so uh, she goes, and she takes two extra-strength Tylenol capsules. In seconds, she collapsed to the floor. Seconds? In seconds. Wow. So paramedics got there, and they think that she had maybe a stroke or a heart attack, uh, but she uh, never came, she never woke back up. So she died. Damn.
0: 12 years old.
1: Same day, Adam Janis, uh, age 27, he had stayed home from his job that day. He had a chest cold. Uh, he took a couple of Tylenol and uh, fell into a coma at 11.54 a.m. Same afternoon, Mary Reiner, 27, she stops in at Frank's Finer Food in Winfield, Chicago.
0: FFF?
1: FFF. Uh, she buys a bottle for of Tylenol. For, 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 for. She had just had her fourth child, uh, you know, so she was kind of sore. and Sure. That's what four kids would do. So she stops, gets some Tylenol, takes Tell it. Tell me about it. 45 minutes later, coma.
0: Huh, so it took her 45 minutes, and the girl was, like, instantly. Instant, yeah. yeah. So,
1: uh, then Mary McFarland, age 31, uh, she's at work, she's got a migraine, she goes into the women's room, uh, takes a couple... Hits off the bowl. Takes a couple Tylenol. Ah! Uh, uh, walks tylenol. back into the office and drops to the floor, she's dead. Bam! So, around 5 p.m., uh They the, made her finish her shift. Nice bye Mary! Uh, everybody Bernie her, prop her up like Bernie. <laughs> let weekend of Bernie's and shit. We gotta get work day done.
0: Yes.
1: So around five PM that same day, uh, the family of Adam Janice, the twenty seven year old who had uh, fell into a coma, they uh, he had passed away oh, later man. in the day. So the, the Janice family is uh, at you know, in his home. They're discussing funeral arrangements. The younger brother, Stanley Uh, His sister-in-law, Teresa, they both have headaches.
0: Oh, uh, no. Shitty,
1: you know, shitty day. Yeah. Uh, Someone said, hey, I think there's a bottle of Tylenol in the bathroom. Uh, Minutes later, Stanley collapsed in the living room. Uh, Paramedics loaded him onto a stretcher. Then Teresa falls to the floor. Uh, Authorities evacuated the house and put the family and medical workers under quarantine, uh, suspecting some sort of contagion or toxic gas. Same evening, Paula Prince, 35-year-old Chicago flight attendant, uh, she gets home, she goes to the local Walgreens, uh, she buys some extra drink Tylenol around 9pm, she goes home, puts on a nightgown, takes a couple Tylenol capsules, and she dies.
0: they're all from different stores and stuff. It's not like all these, man, what's happening? I think I kind of do remember this.
1: Her body's discovered two days later. Um, so, while uh, Paula Prince was making her purchase, two firefighters, Richard Keyworth and Philip Capitelli, uh, They were both on the phone talking about uh, a lot of, like, the strange calls coming in the day. Like, you know, people fucking falling into comas. So uh, Capitelli says, uh, uh, my mother-in-law works with Mary Kellerman's mother. Mary Kellerman was one of the ones that took Tylenol and Uh and died. Uh, And he's like, so he knew about, um, you know, everybody being upset about her death. The other firefighter firefighter pulls up uh, some incident reports and starts describing all of them to him. And uh, Capitelli says uh, that every death is very, you know, they're all very similar to the three Janice's uh, family, the Janus family. Yeah. So then uh, the, the uh, firefighters realize that in every single report, Tylenol is mentioned. So one of them says, hey, it's, you know, it's, it's a wild stab in the dark here, but maybe it's something to do with Tylenol. So they start, uh, they, you know, report to the police officers, uh the police officers find the bottle of Tylenol that uh, Kellerman um, uh, had in. They they had taken as like evidence, like you know. So they uh, they take it to the hospital. They get it looked at because the, you know, the medical staff already kind of thought that they'd been poisoned. As soon as they open the vo- as soon as investigators open the bottle of Tylenol, the distinctive scent of uh, bitter almonds associated with cyanide Oh. hits there. Uh, and I don't know if this is just the way the guy wrote this. Uh, I'm using an article called The Bitter Pill. Uh, I don't know if that's just this guy wrote this on purpose or not, but he quotes. Um, so he writes, you know, the distinctive cyanide scent of bitter almonds. And then he quotes Richard something Chicago police superintendent who said, It was just nuts. Oh. I don't know if that was supposed to be like a little joke they had, uh, but it's, not the time, like, okay? not the time, yeah. dude. Uh, I, I
0: I do some really bad jokes. I expect the that. not the time.
1: Yeah, gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> so within 72 hours of Mary Kellerman's death, uh, an unprecedented amount of uh, federal, state, and local law enforcement agents were on the case. Uh just product, shooting every bottle of wine, all, and all they bomb. see on the shelf. <laughs> Uh, product hampering. It's coming happened. right for me. Product hampering happened before. Uh, never like this that's, bad though. Man,
0: that's crazy. So an official Tylenol task force. Oh. was put together. The OTT. The OTT. Wow. <laughs> I got work OT OT on the OTT. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I'm on the OTTF. <laughs> uh, it was uh, mm-hmm. convened at a command post in the in, the, in uh, the plains, and our internet just went out. Or my computers went off, my power went off, so nothing's happening right now. None of this has been recorded. Oh, it's still recording. Oh, okay. Wow. That was weird. That's I saw weird. the lights
0: flashing. Well, we're going to keep trying to record. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm scared. Hold me closer.
1: Uh, you already hold me, but hold me
0: even closer.
1: Uh, Tyrone Foner, Fainer, uh then the Illinois Attorney General, became the primary spokesperson for the investigation. He held twice daily press briefings and received plenty of TV time. Uh, he needed it as he was lagging behind in the polls in a run for re-election against Neil Hartigan. He says, uh... Well, I was convenient. I was on TV every night. People who didn't know who I was all of a sudden did. <laughs> He's like, I talk about it all the time. All this deaths. is like
0: his yeah. best... You're, you're, you're getting tied in with just death. This was his best life at the time. He's like, wow. I'm always
1: on TV. <laughs> uh...
0: Well, back then there was like five channels. Yeah. So it was pretty
1: easy. He, uh... He says that he still bristles at accusations that political posturing had an adverse effect on the task force's efficiency, uh, efficacy. I wasn't the only one who had true jurisdiction. You don't tell the feds what to do, and they don't like to be told what to do, okay? And the same is true of the local police chiefs out there. All in all, uh, f- f- he concludes that it was a truly decent very good fine effort, which is to say it was a shit show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, everyone wanted jurisdiction. No one could get along. Uh, it was the normal shit. So, uh, Jeremy Margolis, uh, Margolis, the then assistant U.S. attorney, says that everyone fought for a little piece in the sun. You had literally hundreds of people working sometimes together and sometimes at odds under very difficult circumstances because nobody really knew what the heck was going on. Uh, hey, what
0: the heck is going on?
1: <laughs> but the, the relationship between the local cops and the FBI was particularly bad. It
0: always is. Always is. Uh, they never want the feds We're here now case. We yeah, got this We yeah. take over How about you go uh, How about you go cover some uh, go, go get that crowd back Go wear some cows out there Or something You fucks
1: uh, <laughs> So uh, Officials focused first On removing Tylenol From store shelves And recalling bottles From buyers uh, Mayor Jane Byrne Called for the remo- removal Of all Tylenol products From Chicago During a dramatic Press conference Late on the night The Paula Prince Was discovered dead the briefing, Beam Nationwide, stoked a panic that soon became global. Tylenol's makers, John. Tylenol did. becomes
0: illegal, only bad guys will have Tylenol. That's
1: right, and then what are you going to do? I know. You so need more, I take- think you need more Tylenol.
0: I think they should have put more Tylenol on the yeah. shelf.
1: That, then, yeah, Yeah. if everyone had Tylenol, yeah, then be good. we'd be fine. I, mean, I think you need some Tylenol in every school. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so... Uh, Tylenol's makers, <laughs> don't get me started. Don't even get them started. Why are you doing this? I'm, I don't, I'm tipping just, you. You're just pushing buttons. <laughs> pushing buttons. That's tylenose, what I makers, Johnson & Johnson, uh, reportedly didn't want a total recall at first. Uh Oh,
0: because- big shock. <laughs> like, yeah. what, seven people died? Oh, yeah. nine? Uh, that's it? Yeah, wake me up when it's a dozen. <laughs> All right, wake me up when it's a two baker, dozen. A baker's dozen. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, but they did bow to uh, pr- public pressure, and they asked the public to return their bottles and offered a one hundred thousand dollar reward for any information on the killings. Uh, the company then set up labs and began the painstaking process of testing capsules wow, for man. contamination. Uh, law enforcement agents. A, I mean,
0: it's good they did, but that would that would be a nightmare. Like yeah. as a
1: company, as a you just do not want. Like as soon as you hear that there's like a Tylenol product. like, like you're, mis- you're like, are we making that? <laughs> <laughs> Son of a... Please say we quit making that. Uh, so, you know, um, there were a lot of theories early on. Investigators uh, thought that uh, this was pop- possibly manipulation of Johnson & Johnson's stock prices uh, by some imagined white-collar crime syndicate. Uh, you okay. Know, they examined the Puerto Rican terrorist group, F-A-L-N, uh they uh every disgruntled employee at every place where the contaminated tylenol was manufactured stored or sold was interviewed and evaluated Shop, any shoplifters arrested at those retailers got a second going over like check them out again
0: yeah
1: investigators even picked over picked over sales routes and custodial service rosters seeking a common face so they're just throwing darts
0: how uh, man because
1: really what else yeah like you don't really have a lot to go on yeah uh Recently released inmates and mental patients in the vicinity were profiled and and interrogated. Uh, Taking a page from the Son of Sam crime-solving book, police ran checks on every car receiving a citation in the area. Uh, Agents listened to psychics and crackpots calling the task force hotline with tips about clues found in olive jars and messages about the murderer written with magic pens. They questioned every family member and intimate uh, partner of each victim, thinking the killer may have had one intended target and oh, camouflaged the crime with other Yeah, pets. that's good thinking. So if I just, like, put cyanide in all the Tylenol, I'll definitely get that one person. Yeah. Uh, to psych out the killer, the police used the media. They publicized and monitored, monitored funeral arrangements, hoping the murderer might attend or visit the grave sites. Task force members asked Mike Royko to write a heart-wrenching column about little Mary Kellerman, hoping to draw the perpetrator to her home. Uh, Royko refused, but... Uh, and then some journalist named Bob Green did it instead, and it didn't, of course, work. Yeah. By the end of the first week, officials uh, were starting to lose hope. Just one week goes by. that's the game, boys. Uh, They had anticipated that some physical evidence would emerge, but it didn't. The recall effort provided an excess of 10 million capsules, which were tested for cyanide. Uh, More than 50, um, uh, like, messed-with capsules were found in eight bottles. Uh, Five from the victims' bottles, two from consumers' returns, and one was still on the store shelf. Uh, Yet none of the boxes, bottles, or capsules yielded usable fingerprints. So, like, at the time, the bottles were just in, like, a box. Yeah. Like, uh, there was no little protective seal or or anything. The cap wasn't, like, a childproof cap. Probably no
0: cotton in there or anything. Remember there was. I don't know. uh, I was three, so I don't remember a lot.
1: Right. Uh, the theory remains that the killer visited each store and paid for the Tylenol, not wanting to risk a shoplifting arrest. He or she then emptied a handful of capsules, replaced the acetaminophen with potassium cyanide, recapped the capsule, sprinkled a few on top of each bottle to ensure a quick ingestion, and then returned the box to its shelf. Uh,
0: what kind of... I'm- that's so, such a weird thing. Like you don't even know your victims. You're just like just causing fucking scatter shot. <laughs> just the worst.
1: Um, so while investigators spun their wheels in frustration, the press demanded answers. Uh, it got it really got to be almost laughable. Fawner would hold a press conference, and then they'd all come running down to my place and say, Fawner said this. Why do you think about that?" Uh, there was so much pressure on the media people from the local networks that they were just going nuts. He, uh, This is that Brizchek guy. He's uh, He was a police officer. Or he was the commander-in-chief, or not the commander-in-chief, the police chief. Um, there was so much pressure on the media uh, people from the local networks, they were just going nuts, he says, calling the Tylenol Circus a precursor to the O.J. and John ben- John Bonnet LAs uh, quote the station managers were tightening the screws, saying "Get scoops, get scoops." Despite filling more airtime with tylenol, murder, tylenol murders than with any other story since the end of the Vietnam War, reporters were also unsuccessful in their attempts, attempts to break the case. So, sitting in the city, watching all of this, uh, and I, I made a mistake earlier. I said that James Lewis and his wife were in Chicago. Yeah, they weren't. They're in New York City. I don't okay, know their names. But so he's in New York City, and he's watching all of this. Yeah, Jim uh, James Lewis is. He's watching all this on the news and he's still wanting to get back at McKayhee because he fucking hates McKayhee at this point.
0: Yeah, he got that $300 check. He didn't that, get it. Whatever I think it was, it was 500 Oh, 500
1: He didn't, you know, they didn't pay that out. Uh, so he has taken, like, it's his personal mission now to fuck McKayhee. Yeah. So on the morning of October 6, 1982 photocopies of an unsigned letter got passed around in an eternal johnson and johnson strategy meeting handwritten in block printing it read it reads johnson and johnson parent of mcneil laboratories gentlemen as you can see it is easy to place cyanide both potassium and sodium into capsules sitting on store shelves and since the cyanide is inside the gelatin it is easier to get buyers to swallow the bitter pill Another beauty is that cyanide operates quickly. It takes so very little, and there will be no time to take countermeasures. If you don't mind the publicity of these little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I've spent less than $50, and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. If you want to stop the killing, then wire $1 million to bank account number 8449597 at Continental Illinois Bank, Chicago, Illinois. Don't attempt to involve the FBI or local Chicago authorities with this letter. A couple of phone calls by me will undo anything you can possibly do. (laughs) The bank account number was McCahy's.
0: Yeah.
1: Within hours, the FBI had lifted fingerprints from the original document, duly noting the envelope's New York City postmark. Scratching away the postmark, investigators found metered postage with an identifying Pitney Bowes number. Oh, my
0: God.
1: And an old date. (laughs) The meter was owned by Lakeside Travel. The envelope was stamped April fifteenth, 1982. They then discovered the bank account belonged to Lakeside's owner Frederick Miller McKayhee. So, he thinks that he's devised the perfect plan to get McKey Yeah. That. So he's the he well, he actually knows that. So he says, uh, Mar, "There's this uh, that James Margolis. He's like the U.S. former U.S. attorney." He says, uh, James Lewis fancied himself a really brilliant guy. He knows how law enforcement works, and he decided to wait and take advantage of the next natural catastrophe. It could have been a plane crash, a train wreck, whatever. It just happened to be the Tylenol killings. He left Chicago with these envelopes in his possession and the bank account number, knowing that something bad would happen someplace, and he would take advantage of it and put the heat on McCahee. He knew that the bureau would eventually figure out that McCahey hadn't done whatever it was that he was claiming to have done in the letter, but during the course of the bureau's investigation of McCahey, knowing as much as he claimed to know about how the bureau works, he knew that they'd work McCahey up one side and down the other and figure out what a horrible white-collar criminal he was.
0: Just find other stuff, though. So he was just going to
1: set him up that way; they would find everything else. That was his whole plan. But to me, like, you make it that obvious. And clearly, they're going to pretty much... Like, they're going to assume pretty quickly that this wasn't... Like, McCahey's yeah. either the dumbest fucking human being ever. <laughs> you know, like, we, like if you're going to hold up Johnson Johnson, you're probably not going to use the bank account just with your name on it. Yeah. That. Like... <laughs> I'll never know it's me! <laughs> Chicago authorities did uh, investigate and interrogate McCahey. He denied any involvement. And they asked, like, well, who might be out to get you then? And he immediately said, Robert and Nancy Richardson, which is how he knew... Yeah. James and Leanne. Lewis. Uh, a quick check of employment records led the cops to Chicago tax service where Bob Richardson's old job application lay with one look agents knew who'd written the extortion note. So now they've got
0: one of of Jim's
1: old false identities. So a little further digging into the Richards into Richardson's past revealed he'd published a freelance column in the Chicago Tribune back in July, complete with a photograph of himself. Uh, so now they knew his, his, uh, he wrote a, uh, a little poem kind of. Oh, so if you want to know. one well-dressed evangelist bullhorn blast ing promises of salvation, a one-legged man walking proud and alone. One information booth in the middle of the sidewalk ignored one blue and white police car sitting empty windows open four pairs of white shoes. One left shoe untied. Oh, so he's deep. Wow, he's a deep thinker, this guy. Uh, so the task force goes public with the letter on October seventh. Uh, but Fauner uh, downplayed its importance, saying it will not be relevant in solving the cyanide murders, calling the extortion attempt a side issue, a hoax. It was, however, the first tangible development in the grinding investigation. Uh, a week later, the FBI issued an arrest warrant and published the Richardson headshot, uh, Lewis's headshot. Kansas City police recognized the suspect, including the Chicago cops. The man they were after was really Jim Lewis, a suspect in the murder of Raymond West and an alleged tax fraud schemer. Suddenly, Foner changed his tune, and he said, Oh, yeah, this uh, this does have some significance. So police had another suspect under scrutiny. Actually, three, uh, They were looking at a 48-year-old dock worker named Roger Arnold. Uh, he was a just a pretty normal blue-collar guy. He liked to frequent Lincoln Park Taverns. Uh, One evening, he made some barroom chatter about the Tylenol murders that gave observers pause, and someone tipped off the police about it. So officers arrested him on a four-month-old assault complaint brought by a bartender and used the opportunity to interrogate him about the poisonings. Uh, Arnold worked at a jewel warehouse with the father of victim Mary Reiner, and according to the New York Times, police received a tip that Arnold's ex-wife had been committed to the psychiatric ward of a hospital located across the street from the Winfield store where Mary Reiner purchased her Tylenol. In his apartment, Arnold kept a stash of Soldier of Fortune magazines and how to crime, and manuals on how to commit crime. Yeah. He took annual trips to Thailand. He had a skull and crossbones tattoo on his forearm, and he was a closet chemist. Uh, A search of his home revealed several unlicensed guns, a bag of chemical powder, beakers and funnels. The powder turned out to be potassium carbonate, not cyanide. And he would tell reporters, I'm not saying what the chemicals were used for, but it was nothing illegal. <laughs> Which doesn't sound... Well, I do with my chemicals in my business. Uh, like, what are you making then? Yeah. What kind of little experiments are you doing? Uh, he refused polygraph examinations. He was charged with assault and weapons violations, released on a $6,000 bond, and was pissed. <laughs> uh, for months, he fumed. He allegedly told his, invest- his interrogators... I'd like to be on the homicide of the guy that turned me in for what he did to me. So uh, Threatening
0: someone's life to cops. Smart.
1: Yeah. So on the morning of June 18th, 1983, uh, 46-year-old computer consultant John Stanisha uh, was leaving a Lincoln Avenue bar after last call. The heavyset Stanisha resembled the man Arnold believed had implicated him in the Tylenol case. Arnold began stalking the man. And then approached him and yelled, you turned me in and shot him at point blank. Range. Oh, fuck. So he was then tried, convicted, and sentenced to 30 years for the murder. Uh, Jesus. He was never charged with the uh, Tylenol murders, though. Yeah. Uh, so they do keep him as a person of interest, but uh, more so they focused on James Lewis. Uh, let's get an ad break in, and then we'll be right back Holy with the rest shit. of the story.
0: So, by mid-October
1: 1982, photographs of the Lewises were on television screens and front pages nationwide. Shortly after arriving in Manhattan, uh, Leanne found temp work as Nancy Richardson at a real estate firm called Abrams, Benich, and Riker. She showed up every weekday from September 20th through Thursday, October 14th. But on Friday the 15th, she called in sick and disappeared, never returning to pick up the four days' pay she was owed. She loves just leaving, just not getting paid for the last week. Um, James Lewis never held a job in New York. He uh, did, however, have a lot of contact with people at the Rutledge Hotel where they were staying. So on the 14th, you know, the last day she showed up, um, one of the hotel's owners encountered uh, Lewis, Jim, James, Jim James.
0: Jimmy James.
1: In the lobby, Jimmy James. Jimmy Jam, James. Lewis said hello, uh, and then Siri, uh, Moshi Siri, he was one of the hotel owners. He's like, hey, do I know you from somewhere? (laughs) Did you live in another building or something? And Lewis is like, no. Definitely not from TV
0: and that tolerable stuff. (laughs) Lewis is like, no, no,
1: no, no. I'm new. I'm from Missouri. And Moshi Siri was... I'm from Missouri, mate. He was like, oh, okay. You look really familiar, though. A little bit later on, he realized where he'd seen Lewis's face before. Wait a
0: second! He had
1: seen him on Nightline. Yeah, but the couple didn't wait for him to make that connection. Uh, Leanne dropped off the room key to room two, the key to room two hundred, and Robert and Nancy Richardson. Why would you to drop exist. the key
0: off? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh,
1: Bounce. So then, on October eighteenth, when Leanne didn't show up, someone for from her temp job notified the New York City Police Department. Uh, With a tip, over 100 cops and FBI agents coned Manhattan for days, block by block, but came up empty. Uh, The couple had somehow eluded the dragnet. On October 18th, a clean-shaven Edward Scott and his wife, Carol, new names again. You guys didn't see, but he used quotations. quotations. Yeah,
0: that's not his real name.
1: They checked into another uh, hotel owned by that same guy, Moshi Siri. Uh, I mean, I'm
0: sure you probably didn't know that's who the owner was. Probably not. Hopefully it comes back to fuck them.
1: This one was just 13 blocks from where they originally had been. Uh, it Quite was, the getaway. It was a really <laughs> shitty little hotel, roach-infested. Uh, everybody in the hotel had to share bathroom. the bathroom. Um, it just was a shitty place, and no one really paid much attention to it. Yeah. So much of the Tylenol coverage now focused on the fugitive's ch- character and friends and acquaintances, uh, Some were of the opinion that James Lewis was a charming, if mischievous, genius. Quote, he could talk to you on any subject and convince you that no matter how much you knew, he knew more. Which sounds fun.
0: Sounds like a good dude to hang Get out me with. next to that guy at a party. I uh, do stand-up comedy. Well, I've known stand-up comedy for 20 years. I taught Rodney Davidson. <laughs> Rodney Davidson? Davidson?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know. He probably did teach Rodney No, You know, Rodney. Uh, I'm dumb. Another guy, quote, he seemed to have a good heart. He'll be getting the kick of his life reading about himself, and he'll be five steps ahead of everybody. He's
0: that smart. Wow,
1: just fucking blow him, buddy. <laughs> uh, others had more sinister impressions. Uh, the man who gave Lewis his first job in Kansas City said, "He is the he has the most bizarre personality I have ever met in my life, and I've met thousands of them." <laughs> Uh, Chicago in a
0: bar in St. Louis. A Chicago co-worker remarked
1: on Lewis's strange manner and obsessive rants about impending economic ruin, he'd glare. He'd stare at you and not say anything. That just no thank you. yeah uh, So walk Jim walk Lewis's <laughs> Jim Lewis's plan to extort McKey was not going great. Uh, when he said when he sent the note to Johnson and Johnson, he hoped that McKhy would be investigated. Uh, but by late October he had found himself as the you know target of the investigation to ensure justice. He tried again and this time uh, as McCahey, he sent a death threat to President Reagan.
0: Oh so that this didn't. is definitely not John Lewis. This is McKay-hee. Uh
1: Though the exact contents of the presidential correspondence were never released, press reports said that its writer demanded changes in federal tax policy or else, uh, da, da, da. the Tylenol killings would continue and that the White House would be bombarded with remote-controlled model airplanes that would jam Secret Service radio transmissions. Oh, shit. And I am not Jim Lewis. This is McKay. Yeah. In case you needed to know, Reagan, just remember the name McKay.
0: I don't know how to spell it. It's my name, but I can't spell it. You can probably spell it. Oh,
1: shit. Uh, so then, uh, since that still wasn't working, Lewis began corresponding with newspaper editors. Uh, on October 27th, the Chicago Tribune received a thick packet of documentation on Dick. of the McKay Payroll Affair. Uh, he owed me $500! Along with a note written in cursive. Quote, As you have probably guessed, my wife and I have not committed the Chicago area Tylenol murders. We do not go around killing people. We never have and we never will. Cr- contrary to reports, we are not armed. Unless one means in the anatomical paraplegic sense...
0: Oh. So making jokes. Making jokes, yeah. And, like, they probably
1: did, like, you know, dismember a guy. Yeah. So just. uh Callback. Uh-huh. Callback. That's that's what that is. Dude's got a good set. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) High five. We shall never carry weapons, no matter how bizarre the police and FBI reports. Domestically, weapons are for two quite similar types of mentalities, criminals and the police. We are neither. Signed, Robert Richardson. You are both,
0: is what they should have said.
1: So, the uh, week before Thanksgiving, Lewis sent the Kansas City Star a seven-page letter titled A Mortal Dilemma. The letter, while never mentioning Tylenol, offered a series of ethical questions as well as some personal reflection. So, he kind of, like, goes into his whole backstory. Yeah. uh, You know, woes me bullshit. Um, And he also used this correspondence to taunt Kansas City authorities, uh, and he basically says uh, because they're trying to resurrect the charges against him for Raymond West's death, so cool. he puts in there, reopen the the Raymond West case.
0: There's no that case doesn't have any legs.
1: He goes, that sounds like a splendid idea. <laughs> uh, why have the police taken so long to come to their senses? It sounds like a splendid idea to reopen it. So they do. They reopen. it. Uh, and they sent. Uh, He's
0: a sassy little fella.
1: Yeah. So on November sixteenth, nineteen eighty two. An FBI memo to the Kansas City Police Department reported an interesting finding. One fingerprint present on a, on a lift. Uh, remember how they uh,
0: they pulled like the rope and stuff? Yeah, yeah so
1: they pulled him up. Uh, so they identified the right thumbprint of James Lewis.
0: Oh, how'd that get there?
1: So during Thanksgiving week, week Lewis sent yet another letter to the Tribune uh, taking on his Tylenol accusers while explaining his rationale for the extortion attempt. To bring truth about McKay. <laughs> I
0: want my $500. You guys don't understand what
1: a piece of shit this man is. It is my hope that by sending the information to the press, these those powers which have prevented an investigation will acquiesce so that the matter can be properly examined. I also remind you that these are the same investigators who engineered the placing of my wife's name and my name on prime suspect lists without bothering, bothering to determine what we had both moved from the Chicago area nearly a month before the Tylenol poisonings began. After hearing those people on the news and reading the reports, it sounded like they already had us convicted, and of something we could not have possibly done. We continue to respect the law as an institution and a concept. I have attempted to act as an informant, to act on the side of the law, but the FBI and their state associates have used their precious resources to terrorize, humiliate, ridicule, and speculate in public about the private lives of my family and me. Is this what a person who attempts to be a good citizen should expect from the United States Department of Justice? Man. That's what McKay should be (laughs) doing. Not me, McKay. McKay. I'm a good boy. Lewis signed his real name and slapped a right thumbprint to the documents. Uh, Later, he would be interviewed by uh, a WBBM's Mike Parker. Parker asked him, "What was it like to be on the run knowing every law enforcement agency in the country was looking for you?" And he said, uh, "It's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Can you imagine trying to tell your wife, "Honey, I wrote a letter," and she just says, "Oh yeah? There's something else I need to tell you. They're talking about on the radio." So then they the Parker, "How how'd she take that?" And then Lewis says, "She just sat and stared at the wall for a while." And then said, <laughs> she how does could, that?" And then said, "How could you have done such a thing?" So, yeah, he's, like, he's, Is this like, that
0: plane broad? Or is that, this is that plane, yeah. you know, <laughs> she has eyes. She just sits there and stares at walls. You know how she is. Oh, yeah.
1: But, yeah, so he's, like, like, I don't know how... I can only imagine, like, she hates him so much, but she's there and like stuck yeah but he's like so guess what i did and they
0: dismembered a the guy together probably so. and she's just got to be like oh, another shit. letter we got to go again no we got to run we got to go 12 blocks
1: <laughs> so the day before thanksgiving 1982 their 14th wedding anniversary leanne signed for a 140 forty-dollar money order from her father at a manhattan western union union ugh, manhattan western union office surveillance cameras captured the couple's meek movements and the fbi inch closer uh, Leanne, uh, oh, so the FBI was like keeping an eye on them though. They knew where they were now. So Leanne ventured out and landed an eight dollars and fifty cents an hour bookkeeping job as Carol Scott. Which, if this was eighty-two, uh, minimum wage is just eight seventy-five. So yeah. that's like pretty good money. I would yeah. imagine eight in eighty-two. Knowing James Lewis had been monitoring Chicago and Kansas City newspapers, FBI agents blanketed every newsstand and public library with wanted posters. And on uh, the afternoon of December 13th, 1982, uh, Special Agent Vincent Piazza got the call. A librarian at a New York public library uh, said, shh, had just handed Lewis <laughs> two volumes. Uh, <laughs> Piazza and his partner, Mike Falcone, which these guys are oh just. Oh, my
0: God. Falcone and Piazza. Vincent Piazza and Michael Falcone. Yeah, that's like a TNT show. Uh, Ain't no drama. Uh,
1: Piazza and Falcone. <laughs> uh, so they uh, cover the exits. Uh, Piazza goes up to the fourth floor. The librarian points to a man hunched over in a, in a little study area. Uh, Piazza approached and tapped the man on shoulder. The man stood up, put his glasses on, and stood silent as the cuffs were put on him. Following the arrest, Tylenol investigators played it both. Tylenol investigators, played it both ways. Some called Lewis a prime suspect in the poisoning. Others stuck to the facts. Lewis was only charged with the extortion attempt. Additional leads were still being pursued. Uh, after a hundred days of fruitless legwork, the task force showed signs. I'm sure signs, there's a lot of those
0: people are probably. Let's just say he did it. Just yeah. Make, you know. You would think
1: a lot of people are like yeah. Uh, so Johnson somebody. and Johnson returned triple sealed Tylenol to store shelves. An entire tamper-evident packaging industry sprang up in the wake of the poisonings. A hundred million dollars in losses were suffered by Johnson and Johnson, and new regulations wow. were instituted by the U.S. Inf- uh, Food and Drug Administration. Before 1982, only moisture and temperature-sensitive medications had protective seals. The Tylenol deaths changed all of that. So Lewis pleaded guilty, or Lewis pleaded not guilty at his extortion arraignment, and federal prosecutors geared up for the trial. Leanne refused to assist them. Uh, she surrendered to authorities the day after her husband's arrest, but declined to answer investigators' questions. She just, like, looked at the wall. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, they forgot she was there eventually, and she just, like, walked yeah. out.
1: Yeah, if she doesn't move, you just forget about her after a <laughs> few seconds. Uh, federal prosecutors then charged Leanne with misappropriating the Social Security numbers she used to become Nancy Richardson while working in Chicago. Uh, despite the charges, misdemeanor status, prosecutors asked for a five million dollar bond. Leanne spent that Christmas in jail, awaiting a bond reduction hearing. Officials invited her to cooperate with the government's investigation uh, into any of the troubling circumstances surrounding her husband, the letter to Johnson Johnson, the Reagan letter, letter the West, uh, the death of Ray West, and the Tylenol poisonings. She said nothing.
0: Um, I mean, you can do that, too. You don't, like, you can, like, decide not to testify or, like, yeah. against your spouse you bug, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so, uh, the defense attorney, their argument was that Jim Lewis had a pitiful start to life, but he and Leanne had developed an extremely close marriage. The death of their five-year-old daughter um, tore apart their lifelong bond, though. That Jim became enraged at McKehe's treatment of Leanne. He learned at the wage claim hearing that McKehe's bank accounts had been frozen, so he, you know, they got no money from that. And despite his best efforts, no one in law enforcement would listen to his allegations against McCahey. Like, why won't they kill McKehe? <laughs> so telling everybody, you know, the defense is like, we can't blame this guy. He's been wronged, and he just wanted you to do something about it. Yeah. And you wouldn't, so uh, he feels entitled. Everybody. He uh, says that, yeah, he wrote the letter, but he never intended that the company would actually pay the million dollars. I'm joking. Uh, he said that uh, that Lewis knew that they didn't have that kind of money to pay anyways. He only intended the letter to draw authorities to McKay, nothing more. Uh, he didn't actually write the letter expecting money, so he wasn't trying to actually uh, you know, extort them for anything. Uh, so he did act, not actually commit any extortion uh in the closing argument U.S attorney Dan Webb uh, tried to refute the ridiculous defense. he also planted the seeds of doubt that surround that he like he kind of just people still think Lewis is the one that did the tunnel yeah um he says yeah, that I was just
0: playing all along to do that and then blame it on my or whatever
1: yeah uh so after the six day trial it took the jury just two and a half hours to find James Lewis, then 37 guilty of ex- attempted extortion on October 27th, 1983, 83. But Jim tried to be helpful what? from here. So in prison, uh, he was, uh, working in the prison bakery, but his fellow inmates refused to eat his pastries. Hell yeah. So for whatever reason he hated work, like, I don't know why that was, but he why didn't like they working put him anywhere near <laughs> anything edible. That's true. Yeah. So instead he, uh, he kept trying to like get on the Tylenol task force. Oh, ah. So...
0: I'm telling you, I know right where this guy is yeah. that did it. He's like, <laughs> it's I, can, me. I can tell you
1: everything about McKay. Uh, so, in 83, uh, he contacts the U.S. Attorney, Jeremy Margolis, and uh, Mergolis says that he, uh, that, you know, hey, he volunteered his services because he had time on his hands, and he was really smart. He said he... So, he, like, accepted the offer. He, wow. let, Mc, he let Lewis... Wow. Come on Like, over. come... He would, like, have him come into the office and, like, give him his theories on shit. Um... They met several times for hours at a time, and he would always arrive uh, with hundreds of pages of manuscripts, diagrams, and theories on how the killings might have happened. Like, he would go into, he would do all these drawings.
0: It's like O.J.'s book, If I Did if It. If I Did
1: It. Yeah. <laughs> so now most of the uh, most of the FBI, like, everybody thinks he did it. Yeah. So, like, the FBI, the police and everything, they think he did it, so they're, like, waiting for him to slip up in one of these meetings uh but he never did so he basically is just like he never really gives them anything he won't do a polygraph he never really gives them anything to indicate that he actually did this he's just giving them a ton of theories yeah um at one point he's uh in where is it at uh Where's that? Where's that? One point he says some crazy shit about, he's like trying to get like um, a motion to, like for parole, Uh, and he tries, he makes up something. I'm trying to find it in the story. Or maybe get gets case overturned. Well, he just like, he just completely makes up a situation that he says happened, in court, and it didn't. Um, he was
0: like, in 11th grade, Joe Biden banned all guns from schools. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 11th grader showed up with three guns, and no one else had guns.
1: Oh, yeah, that does sound familiar, like somebody <laughs> in Congress did that. It <laughs> would make that up. Uh, I can't remember who it is now, but he... Uh... Oh, here it is. All right. So he says um, uh, that he, he was convicted not because he committed a crime... But because the U.S. attorney, Daniel K. Webb, in open court, threatened to kill the jurors with poison and a gun. That's good lawyering right there. He says that he will never forget the fear in the jury's eyes. Oh. That Mr. Webb committed the crime of extortion in open court, an act that amounted to jury tampering. No one can blame the poor jurors when they themselves were the victims. Like, he's trying to say that this happened in a court.
0: It clearly fucking didn't. Yeah, right? there'd be a record of it. There would be a big... They got the whole I'm pretty sure here. you would have heard about it. Yeah. So He, like, leaned in and whispered it. Like,
1: I don't know if he... Like, I would love to know if he actually thought the judge was going to be like,
0: my God. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Get him out of
1: that prison. Uh, Get McGahee in there. So it was, yeah. So his motion was denied. Yeah, I can't believe he didn't say that. I can't believe he wasn't like, I was in court, yeah. and I was saying, like, you know, whatever you're accusing me of, I did. I'm sorry for all of it. And then McKay came in and <laughs> held everyone at gunpoint, and he did a lot of cocaine. You know know everyone everyone was blinking
0: at the same time <laughs> and missed it.
1: So uh, he tried to be a model prisoner. Um, he taught himself Latin while improving his French and Spanish skills. He uh, painted murals with sports themes. He tried to get paroled at every opportunity. But as he told WBBM's Mike Parker in '89, he wasn't optimistic after his first eligibility hearing.
0: How many years did they give him when they found him guilty? Uh, I don't remember. Maybe it's all right.
1: uh, He's out now. Okay. So oh shit. um,
0: Hide your Tylenol.
1: So he says that uh, in the quote in their meeting here, two examiners indicated that they will extend my time in prison by construing the Tylenol letter as if it were a confession. The United States Parole Commission will, in fact, be accusing me of being the Tylenol murderer. Uh, Margolis have no more interest in protecting the public in this case than the Tylenol murderer himself did. They have became, with their actions, the best friend that the Tylenol murderer could ever have. By taking the actions they have taken here, they've done the same thing as pinning the Congressional Medal of Honor on the Tylenol murderer's chest. During another one of uh, Mike Parker's broadcasts, uh, Dan Webb, he was, uh, I forget who he was, he was somebody in law enforcement, he says, first of all, he's the one that sent the extortion note, which would immediately at least raise into question whether or not he's the one who committed the murders. Lewis remained defiant. I could send a letter to the Roman Senate saying, give me one million gold pieces, and I will stop the killing of Caesar. But that doesn't mean I killed Caesar. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because that was like a
1: thousand years ago, dickhead. So on <laughs> October thirteenth, 1995, Lewis walked out of the federal penitentiary, and went straight back home to Leanne. Today, the case is still being investigated. Like, God
0: damn, you're still so plain, just so. Can't I found you. So plain. <laughs>
1: you somehow gotten plainer. <laughs> so it has now been 40 years. Uh, the case is still being investigated. Wow. Um, they just recently uh, got a lot more like DNA samples from possible. Like, they're trying to rule out every family member Yeah. that was, like, anybody that died. They're trying to still rule out, like, every single family member that or anybody that knew those people. It's just so widespread, all the different stores and... Well, so this fucking dude, though, like, if he had never sent that letter... Yeah. ...then that would have never sidetracked the investigation. He
0: 12 years in, 83, 95.
1: Okay, yeah. Damn. So, yeah, he basically, like, they could have maybe caught the person that did this... But once he sent that letter, yeah, and you know, they start f- put himself in the picture. Yeah, yeah, they because like on you said him. before
0: that they were thinking like maybe you know maybe they killed everybody to target one person. It's one they, person. They weren't. Their minds were open, and they were looking at everything. Mm-hmm. And then they get that letter, and they're like, "Well, I don't. We don't think it's McGee. He, but this Lewis guy's a dumb fuck. <laughs> yeah. So <it> might <laughs> yeah. be him. But the
1: guy that's clearly trying to set him up might have something yeah. to do with it. Yeah, so." Uh we'll probably I I don't know. Uh we'll probably never know who did it. Right. But yeah, it did end up
0: let's get to the bottom of it.
1: It did end up like uh resetting how everything was done. Yeah. I mean with the pills
0: are hard to get into now. Now
1: there's also some stuff that uh I really didn't take I really didn't get a lot of info. Like I just kinda like read a little bit about it, but there's also a guy uh that used to work for Johnson and Johnson, came out years later, wrote a book and it was a bit of a whistleblower. And in the book, he talks about what, like what was happening at this time. Yeah. And there's a lot of like uh, things that Johnson and Johnson around that time, like there was a lot of shady shit happening.
0: So it was just an accident.
1: Could have happened at the like it could have been somebody that worked at Johnson and Johnson.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, that someone did at this the,
1: at like the factory warehouse, whatever. Yeah.
0: Because it would have been way easier to do that. Yeah. They go into each store and. Four fifty pills over eight bottles. Yeah, you just do a few here and there. Yeah, yeah. They're already like maybe on the conveyor already open up, and you just bloop bloop bloop. Or bloop. like if you like, you just pocket some Tylenol. Yeah. Go home,
1: put and the put shit it in back it, on the shelf, and then as it's coming back, or then as it's coming back down your line, yeah. pop those bottles open, oh, yeah, throw it in. So, but they huh. they said that there was a lot of. So I can't believe no one
0: if it wasn't Lewis, like no one tried to get some sort of credit for that. That seems like something that the person who did it would want to get some recognition. Would eventually came
1: out and yeah, claim yeah, and they may still one day like that yeah. was eighty
0: three, so eighty two, eighty three, so
1: I mean forty one years ago. Let's say it was like some thirty year old guy. He's seventy something now. Oh yeah, it was
0: probably definitely male, white, <laughs> in the yeah, between yeah, twenty yeah. and thirty years old. So, well, oh, there has been women that women's top drug are... poison. Yeah, it's poison, but. Yeah, I, I, know.
1: I tend to lead towards the theory that it was somebody working at Johnson yeah. & Johnson. Yeah, I don't think it was Lewis. That did it there. I, no, I don't think I don't it was. think
0: he's, like, he's organized enough to do anything like that.
1: But, yeah, and, like, there would have been. I mean, been, he's
0: a scammer. He's not, like, that's not.
1: I mean, the only way he, he would have done it was to give a reason to try to set McCain yeah. up. But I feel like there's a million other ways he could have yeah, done that. yeah. So I don't feel like him doing, like. Yeah.
0: But good for him for going to jail for 12 years. He's yeah. a stupid piece of shit. for basically
1: fucking up the whole investigation. If buddy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the last time somebody reached out, I, re- I did read, like, uh, the guy that wrote that article I used, he tried to reach out to uh, Lewis, and uh, Leanne answered the phone. Yeah. And then, uh, like, she just, like, hung up. like they wouldn't, they wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Very plain even on the phone.
0: She was like, ma,
1: ma,
0: <laughs> 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 So... <laughs>
1: Yeah, that is the uh, that's the Tylenol man. That's and All they right. would call him that in prison, uh, like the other inmates and stuff. That's how he got the nickname the Tylenol man. Oh yeah, and he hated it <laughs> uh, because he was so mad that, uh, like, he was so pissed off. He wasn't pissed off that he went to prison for this. He was pissed off and was the entire time. He was pissed off that no one ever did anything about McCabe.
0: Yeah, I bet a whole time in prison he just fucking bitched yeah. about McCabe. This
1: entire time he's like. He just cannot figure out how his fucking grand yeah. plan. Well, hopefully
0: McKay, he died and he got to, like pissed on his grave or something. I don't. Who knows? I
1: hope McKay he has like. I hope he's still around. Yeah. I don't know if he is or not, but I hope McKay, he's still around and like. Calls
0: him and be like, we got $500? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> every day. Uh, yeah. Every day calls. Hey, I'm sitting here holding $500 in my hand. <laughs> I just threw into the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Another $500 burned up. <laughs> Fuck it. So, all right. Well, uh, yeah so uh, it is kind of scary to think though that you could go grab yeah a bottle of Tylenol and
0: we're just so used to things going one way and just everything happening the way that it should you never think about yeah like today like we're that. driving around the power was off and I was like I was joking, but so it was like this is so crazy like we had a lot of like a whole i what mile of traffic lights back yeah whatever yeah. comes back on I mean it's just what if you can't go to the store and just buy something for a headache, I took ibuprofen today. My knee hurt, my head hurt.
1: Right now, if you just, and I'm still, f-
0: still fell alive. Over. Yeah. Like, well, McKay, he's back McKay at he it. McKay did it again. All right. Well, uh He's call me John McSherry. <laughs> you know who that is? Uh, he's the umpire that died opening day at the uh-oh. Cincinnati Reds game in like the 90s.
1: So you're dressed in honor of him. Today. Yeah, yeah. Today's okay. John McSherry. Well, him. yesterday
0: was John McSherry Day, but I'm keeping the.
1: I like you have a Masters of the universe pin on your uh-huh. shirt? I, w- I wish all umpires would wear like a He-Man <laughs> pin. <I think laughs> right. That would be a fun little twist of the game.
0: I'd be Skeletor if I was an umpire, though.
1: With the mat? Ah, like, ah, you have that cool mask? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Damn. That's what baseball needs to do. Yeah,
0: their umpires and catchers should have like how hockey masks How oh, hockey masks was have Fuck cool... yeah. Yeah. I w- still wouldn't watch, but I'd look at pictures. <laughs> <laughs> baseball needs...
1: The best thing that could ever happen for baseball is if like all the... And, you know, this goes for most things in life. If all of the old white guys... We'll get the fuck out.
0: Yeah. Take their unwritten rules. Because baseball
1: sticks to yeah, all that old tradition. I think every shit. time you
0: get to a base, you have to fist fight the baseman to stay on that yeah, base. That'd be awesome. Yeah, you get a hit and you get
1: the first mark. you're like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> it's just
0: like a one-minute round I, to the I death.
1: Definitely, well.
0: To the death.
1: They do get paid a lot, so yeah, I mean, huh. it's
0: worth the risk. <laughs> you listening to MLB?
1: We got changes. Yeah. All right, well, uh, hopefully one day, McKay, he... Gets what he deserves. <laughs> <laughs> Till then, uh, you got anything else? Nope. All right. that's it all on the field. You wanna, you wanna give us a? Get
0: out of here!